listening to the English language news of Khan, the Israeli Public Broadcasting Corporation. Good evening and Shavua Tov. It's 8 p.m. in Israel, Saturday, March the 2nd, 2024. This is Nomi Segal with a news roundup. At this hour in Jerusalem, families of hostages and supporters are holding a rally at Paris Square near the Prime Minister's residence, urging the government to reach a hostage release deal for the 134 held in the Gaza Strip. The rally is the culmination of a four-day march that began earlier this week in the Gaza periphery at the site of the Nova Festival October 7th massacre. At its peak today, some 15,000 people joined the former hostages and the families of the hostages in the march under the banner, uniting for the release of the hostages. Nadav Rudayev, son of captive Lior Rudayev, addressed the marchers. They need to be released now. The hostages and the hostages' families are not the enemy. The enemy is Hamas. The enemy is radical Islamic agendas that want all of us not to exist. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your support. It's so important. Come this evening to Jerusalem, our capital city, to be with us and to yell as loud as we can, bring them home now. A flurry of reports on contacts on a hostage release deal. A senior source told the Egyptian network Al-Kahir al-Ikhbariya, considered close to the government in Egypt, there has been significant progress in negotiations on a ceasefire in Gaza. The source said talks will resume in Cairo tomorrow with the participation of all parties. A source close to Hamas has been quoted as saying that a delegation from the organization will travel to Cairo to meet with Egyptian mediators and present the group's official response to the proposals discussed in the earlier Paris summit. The source confirmed that in addition to a halt in fighting, Hamas is demanding an Israeli withdrawal from the northern Gaza Strip, the return of displaced residents there, and expansion of humanitarian aid supply. The Qatari-owned Al Jazeera network reported earlier that Israeli and Hamas delegations were expected to arrive in Cairo. However, Israel has stressed that it will not send a delegation to Egypt or any other country until Hamas provides responses to the Paris framework. A diplomatic source told Khan that Israel expects to receive a list of the captives who would be released under the deal including how many hostages will be freed in the deal and their identities. Israeli sources have said this is the shared decision of the war cabinet. A senior American administration source said that after Israel accepted the principles of the deal, the ball is in Hamas's court. If Hamas agrees to release those hostages defined as at risk, including women, children, elderly, and ill, it will be possible to reach an immediate six-week-long truce. This is progress, and we are working for it to start by Ramadan, but it has not been finalized yet, the official said. Regarding the supply of humanitarian aid, the Biden administration said it is calling on Israel to open additional crossings for the flow of assistance. 
The United States today for the first time took part in an airdrop of humanitarian aid over the Gaza Strip. The U.S. Central Command said that in a coordinated operation with the Royal Jordanian Air Force, food packages were dropped over the coastline of Gaza. The U.S. said the airdrops are part of a sustained effort to get more aid into Gaza, including by expanding the flow of aid through land corridors and routes. U.S. President Joe Biden, in remarks to reporters on Friday, announced the plan to participate in airdrops of humanitarian aid. Biden also said he hopes a ceasefire deal in Gaza will be reached by the start of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, set to begin in eight days' time. We are not yet there, he told reporters at the White House. On day 148 of the Israel-Hamas war, rocket alerts were sounded this evening in the kibbutzim of Be'eri and Chatzirim in the south. There were no reports of injuries or damage. IDF forces in the Gaza Strip today raided compounds affiliated with senior Hamas figures in western Khan Yunis. Israeli security forces have been engaged in fierce battles, killing dozens of terror operatives, raiding terror infrastructure, and uncovering weapons stores. The IDF spokesperson said a compound linked to Hamas Gaza leader Yechia Sinawar was among the locations raided. The IDF also earlier carried out strikes on sites in the northern Gaza Strip from where rockets were fired toward the Zikim area last night, setting off sirens in Zikim and Ashkelon's southern industrial zone. There were no reported injuries. CNN reported earlier today that the Israeli military announced temporary daily suspensions of military operations in parts of Gaza through March 7th for humanitarian purposes. The suspensions between the hours of 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. will affect Rafah and Dir al-Balakh. Hamas-run health ministry in Gaza reports that since the start of the war, the death toll in the Gaza Strip has topped 30,000. These figures have not been verified. Meanwhile, the New York Times reported that a humanitarian aid convoy that devolved into a disaster on Thursday when more than 100 Palestinians were killed in the stampede on the trucks was part of a new Israeli operation to get assistance to northern Gaza residents by working directly with local businessmen. According to an Israeli official, Palestinian businessmen and Western officials, a con reporter said the prime minister's office and IDF declined to comment on the report. Turning to the north, the IDF confirmed striking a vehicle in southern Lebanon's Nakura this morning, targeting the operatives belonging to the Imam Hussein Division, an Iranian militia that operates alongside Hezbollah. The IDF also said fighter jets carried out strikes on Hezbollah positions in other parts of Lebanon. In other news, turning to political tensions be to over Cabinet Minister Benny Gantz's planned trip to Washington, one White House source said that Gantz is slated to meet with the U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris this week. Sources close to Neten- Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had said that Gantz did not receive an okay from the Prime Minister to make the trip. Finally, a United Airlines flight from Newark, New Jersey is expected to land at Ben-Gurion Airport tomorrow, becoming the first U.S. airline to resume flight service to Israel, which was suspended following the October 7th attacks. 
The weather outlook, intermittent rain overnight in the north, spreading to the center. Strong winds, especially along the coast. Tomorrow calls for local rain from the north to the northern Negev. Cold for the time of year. Maximum temperatures in the main centers, Jerusalem 13, Tel Aviv 19, Haifa 16, Beersheba 19, and in Eilat going up to 24 degrees Celsius. That's the news. Our sound engineer this evening is Nadav Nir. This is Nomi Segal. Now over to our pre-recorded weekly news magazine. You're listening to the English-language news of Khan, the Israeli Public Broadcasting Corporation. Good evening and Shavua Tov. This is Nomi Segal with a look at some of the stories we covered this week. Amid reports of movement toward a possible deal on a hostage release and humanitarian pause in fighting, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu reiterated the need to complete elimination of Hamas and that there is a combined plan for the evacuation of civilians from Rafah in the southern Gaza Strip before an IDF operation there. Speaking on Fox and Friends, Netanyahu said of the efforts to secure a hostage release that Hamas has outlandish demands. Here is an excerpt from the interview. Well, actually, uh, last night I had a meeting with the general staff and the security cabinet, and the, the army showed us the plan, a double plan, one for the evacuation and humanitarian assistance of the civilian population in Rafah, uh, and second, the elimination of the remaining uh, quarter, roughly, of the uh, 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 Hamas terrorist battalions that are in Rafa. We wouldn't, we can't leave them uh, there because that's like leaving uh, a quarter of ISIS in place in a defined territory. You wouldn't do that. And in fact, you didn't do it. So uh, we're not going to do that either. But we do have a combined plan of evacuating civilians out of harm's way uh, and uh, destroying those battalions. I can tell you that Hamas will be doing everything in their power to make sure that we don't evacuate right. the civilians because they actually try to stop them at gunpoint and often at gunfire. But that's not going to stop us. We won't give them immunity. We'll get the population out. We'll continue the job to achieve total victory. Total victory is how you win the war, and total victory is how you win the peace. You can't win the peace if you don't win the war. I know you've taken out 18 of 24 Hamas battalions, but they said you've only taken out 30% of Hamas higher-ups. Many are hiding in the tunnels uh, below. If America tells you, don't go into Rafah, will you go in anyway? Well, we'll go in, we make our own decisions, obviously, but we'll go in based on the idea of having also the evacuation of the civilians. By the way, the, the, I agree with the, the U.S. on this. I don't have a, a, a different position because our strategy right now it has always been, from the beginning, to try to get civilians out of harm's way, and we've been largely successful. The ratio of civilians to combatants killed in uh, Gaza uh, is now down below one-to-one, one, which is just unheard of in this kind of crowded urban warfare. Right. But again, we'll do our best to get as many of them out. They'll have the opportunity to leave. That's right. not an American uh position. That's my position. I understand, too. That one of the big stories and that everyone cares most about, especially the Americans, no offense, are the hostages. You have over 130 uh, on behind enemy lines. What could you tell us about those talks in Qatar? The word is, according to U.S. officials, the basic contours of a deal uh, are agreed upon. Would you describe it the same way? Well, I hope so. I think I think we're there. I'm not sure Hamas is there. They have 
what I'd call outlandish demands that's like in another orbit, another planet. They have to come down to reality. Uh, uh, and I think that if that's the case, we'll, we'll be able to have a deal. We certainly want it. I want it. Uh, look, we've already been able to free uh, half the hostages. Uh, which is uh, a singular achievement, but we want the remainder too. And I've devoted my life ever since I was a young uh, commander uh, in, a, in a special unit. I myself was wounded right. in an attempt to release uh, uh, hostages from a hijacked uh, Sabine aircraft. My brother, uh, my older brother was killed at the rate of, while leading the storming party at the rate of Antebi, which right. released 103 uh, Jewish hostages, uh, and we're totally committed. We just had a, a heroic operation in which we released two hostages. We just took them right. out of the jaws of the terrorists. So obviously, we want this uh, deal if we can have it. Uh, it depends on Hamas. It's really now their decision because I think uh, I think the ground has been laid, but they have to enter right. the they have to enter the ballpark. They're not they're not in town yet. Only thirty seconds left. I understand uh, the efforts have been stepped up against Hezbollah in the north. Do you believe war with Hezbollah is inevitable or closer now than it was before Hamas's attack on October 7th? Hezbollah attacked us on October 8th, the day after the Hamas massacre, uh, and we've ex- been exchanging blows ever since. Uh, our goal is to bring back 100,000 people who left the border with uh, Lebanon, with Hezbollah, uh, Israelis, who want to go back right. to their homes. If this can be achieved uh, diplomatically, fine. If not, it'll be achieved militarily. My preference is to achieve it diplomatically, but I can't tell you that, uh, that uh, Hezbollah right. will cooperate. In any case, we'll get these people back to their homes. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Reserve Brigadier General Yossi Cooperwasser, a former head of research in the IDF intelligence branch, says that Israel will be able to resume the fighting in the Gaza Strip after any temporary ceasefire secured for the release of the hostages. Cooper Wasser, who is currently a senior project manager at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, made the remarks in a briefing hosted by the Jerusalem Press Club. I think that uh, <coughs> we are going to be able to resume the fighting after the ceasefire. Uh, this is not the end of the war. Uh, we have to accomplish uh, the missions that we have uh, put for ourselves. And this is uh, defeating Hamas in Gaza and uh, uh, denying it the ability to rule Gaza and denying it the ability to carry out terror attacks from Gaza. So this is what we have to accomplish and uh, we are committed to that and uh, we should do that once the ceasefire is over. The ceasefire is, uh, is there, is going to be there if we are going to be successful in making this deal work. Uh, the ceasefire is going to be there just in order to release the hostages from our point of view. We are under, we are ready to pay a price for that because we understand that every, um, every day that uh, the hostages are still in the hands of Hamas is a torture for them. It's a t- terrible situation. We are committed to releasing them because of that as soon as possible. But uh, we have to remember that we have two goals at the same time, releasing the hostages and defeating Hamas, and we have not given up on the second goal uh, just because we are focused right now in promoting a deal that would take care of the first goal. And that is the, the case, and I think the, the Israeli government, uh, both Netanyahu and Gantz, are saying it uh, very clearly that we are committed to this goal. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, what uh, makes this deal possible is that, uh, that Hamas finally seems to realize that they are not going to be in a position to dictate uh, conditions. Uh, yes, they are going to get all kinds of uh, stuff in, in exchange for the release of the hostages, but they are not going to dictate uh, totally 
detached from reality conditions as they wanted until now, uh, like forcing us to stop the fighting altogether, like forcing us to leave Gaza. Uh, these are things that are not going to happen. Okay, and do you think that we'll actually be able to see through the the other steps of the deal if there's such a big gap between the first one and the and the the the, the ones that follow? Um, will we? Go ahead. It depends because the, over the head of Hamas uh, overs our threat to enter Rafah and to finish the job uh, militarily, and uh, and uh, this would mean that uh, Hamas would be in a very dire situation, and uh, who knows? Maybe we'll eventually catch uh, and capture uh, the leadership, including Sinwar, and uh, this can be this can end in a very bad situation for Hamas. And uh, as a matter of fact, in my mind, the best way to handle this entire thing for Hamas and for everybody else is to ask Hamas to leave, to ask the leaders of Hamas to leave, to ask Hamas uh, forces that are still left in, in the Rafah area to give up and uh, to release the hostages in exchange for uh, releasing uh, some uh, terrorists from Israeli jails. That's the, that's the right thing to do right now for the benefit of everybody. But uh, since Hamas is not ready to, for this uh, option, we shall have to fight and uh, finish the job, and uh, this is what's uh, going to happen. In my mind, uh, with this threat hovering over Hamas, there's a chance that they are going to be ready to move forward on the other parts of the deal as well. But this will be put to a test uh, as we move forward. Okay, and what do you think uh, this message, provo- what, what is the message to perhaps Hezbollah in the north or in other areas that uh, Iran's proxies are operating against Israel? Are they How are they looking at this deal playing out? Uh, let's put it in uh, two different contexts. One, what they are going to say, and the second is what they are going to think. Okay, they are probably going to say that uh, this is an achievement for Hamas and uh, it's an achievement for the Iranian-led axis that they've forced Israel to release the terrorists from Israeli jails and that's uh, then to bring in more humanitarian aid and uh, maybe this is still to to be worked out, Uh, maybe allow some uh, people from northern Gaza to go back to their uh, homes uh, in the context of this uh, deal. There There are going to be things that Israel is going to pay. But what they're going to think is that uh, Hamas is doomed. There's no way out for Hamas because uh, definitely if they agree to a ceasefire that in, in, uh, after which Israel resumes its uh, operations in Gaza and takes over Rafah, then uh, Hamas is doomed. And there's no way uh, that they are going to uh, remain as the rulers of Gaza. We are watching this uh, more, more and more moves are being taken in order to facilitate uh, that uh, new reality. This uh, expected uh, reshuffle in the Palestinian government in the coming uh, hours is uh, is one of them that uh, makes that uh, the impression that uh, Hamas is ready to give up the civilian control of Gaza, and uh, we are against the idea of bringing in a technocrat uh, government led by the Palestinian Authority. But uh, they are already moving in this direction. Uh, which means that uh, everybody understands that Hamas' story in Gaza as the ruler of Gaza is over. Something else is going to happen. There's on the one hand uh, the, the, the plan of uh, the Palestinian Authority together with the uh, United States administration to bringing in some technocrats led by the Palestinian Authority but uh, or connected somehow to the Palestinian Authority. And there's the, on the other hand, the day after plan that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has presented 
and uh, I believe that there are more chances of the plan of Netanyahu being implemented than the, ch- the chances of the plan of Abu Mazen being implemented. So, uh, because those who rule the ground are the Israelis and not uh, the Palestinian Authority. And, uh, but we should wait and uh, wait and see on that. So one thing is clear that uh, as uh, such, the Hamas is over uh, the rule of Gaza. Uh, of course, we are very concerned that such a technocratic government uh, would actually take orders from Hamas and Palestinian Authority. That's why we are not going to stop at that. And the second thing that they are going to think is that all of that has been uh, possible because Israel's military operation was was successful, successful in uh, defeating uh, Hamas in the northern part of Gaza, in the central part of Gaza, uh, destroying uh, 18 of their 24 battalions and maybe more now. And uh, the price that uh, Hamas has paid and the price that the Palestinian, th- uh, the Palestinian population has paid for uh, uh, launching this attack, this massacre attack in, uh, on October 7th, is such that uh, Hezbollah and uh, the Iranians will have to understand that uh, it was not a very good idea to to launch such an attack, and uh, they will have to take that into account. More than that, I would say that the situation that would uh, prevail in in Gaza uh, following the deal, and uh, bearing in mind that Israel is going to continue its operation, uh, is that uh, is is that move that uh, starts moving the pendulum in the regional balance of power uh, in, in the benefit of uh, the pragmatists, Israel, the United States and others that are representing the civilized world uh, against uh, this uh, barbaric uh, fundamentalists led by Iran and the Muslim Brotherhood. And, uh, and that is something very important uh, that for Hezbollah and Iran to take into consideration. But is, is this pendulum swinging so far that they're deterred from continuing to launch rockets at all of our villages in the northern border? I mean, you're saying that they're not going to do their own October 7th because of the d- 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 deterrence, but they're still attacking uh, northern communities every day. Tens of thousands no. of Israelis are still displaced. Where where do you see that uh, continuing to play out? As long as the situation in, uh, as long as the situation in Gaza is not uh, uh, finished uh, in, in the way that I was described now. They, they will continue their efforts in order to deter Israel from uh, launching the attack in Rafah. And everything that we see today is uh, focused on the attempt to convince Israel through the American administration, so putting pressure on the, on the American administration, to convince Israel not to carry out the operation in Rafah. And uh, so far, the Americans are saying, okay, you can carry out the, the operation in Rafah, but make sure that the civilians are not hurt and uh, uh, minimize the damage to uh, to the Palestinian society. And that's what, uh, they're, what they're trying to tell us to do. Definitely, we were not, anyhow, not planning to carry out an attack that would uh, cause a lot of damage to the civilians. But uh, we don't need this uh, advice. But uh, but as long as the uh, Iranians and the Hezbollah and the Houthis and the uh, militias in Iraq believe that by and and the demonstrators around the globe uh, believe that uh, if uh, what they do is going to uh, deter Israel from carrying out the attack in, in Rafa, they will keep doing it, and that's why we see this uh, situation in the north escalating uh, continuously. Uh, but uh, because the more they are afraid that here it comes, the operation coming off is coming, the more uh, air power they use against us in, in the north. But uh, if we decide and uh, 
take over Rafah in, in a way that uh, makes, makes it clear that Hamas is out in Gaza, and the next target is uh, Hezbollah, then they will be more cautious in my mind and try, and there is a chance that this uh, diplomatic effort, once we carry out the operation in Gaza, in uh, Rafah, there's a chance that the uh, diplomatic effort in, uh, in the north will bear full. Reserve Brigadier General Yossi Cooperwasser. Here's Micha Shitrit, Tiberius.
Amid the ongoing war, Israeli went to the polls this week to cast ballots in municipal elections. Voter turnout in elections that had been twice postponed because of the war was 49 percent, seven percentage points lower than in the previous elections that were held in 2018. In other domestic news, the High Court of Justice heard petitions this week challenging the military service exemptions granted to ultra-Orthodox yeshiva students and the government decision from June 2023 that extended the policy after a law on the matter expired. The court ruled in 2017 that the blanket military service exemptions are discriminatory and illegal, and the coalition has been under order to draft new legislation to bring it into compliance. Meanwhile, a new poll has shown that a growing majority of Israelis favor canceling the exemptions and support drafting yeshiva students. The survey was conducted for the organization Chidush for Religious Freedom and Equality. Reporter Arie O'Sullivan heard more from Chidush director Rabbi Uri Regev. We have been testing uh, different aspects of uh, the public opinion, the Jewish public opinion, on all matters of religion and state. And naturally, the issue of uh, drafting yeshiva students uh, is one of them. Uh, and the poll that we conducted last week uh, was interesting, uh, particularly interesting, because on the one hand, it uh, maintained the same level of support for exemption of yeshiva students that we measured in previous polls. Okay. Namely, 22% of the adult Jewish population. Only 22%. And that was the uh, the result of the poll that we conducted in the summer and uh, last week as well. But the uh, dramatic change is in the other two options we gave the respondents. One was a draft yeshiva student just like anybody else. Um, And if they don't want to enlist, uh, stop uh, subsidizing them, uh, stop uh, their payment. Mm -hmm. The other option was uh, maintain a quota, a limited quota of excelling yeshiva students who would be enjoying an exemption and the rest uh, should be drafted. And the dramatic change is in the internal ratio. The, the overall percentage of those who oppose the, the, the exemption is the same, 78%. Okay. 78%, including the majority of the good voters. But the internal division is, whereas in the summer, only 31% said draft them all, and the others said uh, we uh, support a limited exemption. Now, 48% are saying dress them all. Really? So 50% more than in the summer are saying enough is enough. Yes, but you asked the question, do the security needs, you let it off yes. with the security. So it's kind of a loaded question. You, you sort of already put it into pers- changing the perspective. Maybe that's why you had this big change. Well, that's actually uh, very interesting because, as I said, the overall, uh, 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 you know, division of opinion mm-hmm. uh, is consistent. Uh, we are, we didn't ask the question that way in the summer because there wasn't uh, this situation. But uh, uh, if whether we 
did ask the question, acknowledging the impact of the war or not, uh, I mean, makes no difference. Everybody is now operating under that, uh, you know, that 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 uh, reality. Uh, so even if we didn't ask the question w- with these particular words in mind, uh, it would have been the same. But frankly, it doesn't make any difference uh, because Hidush actually supports the uh, more, um, you know, the middle right. uh, option. Okay. Uh, we acknowledge the justification of supporting Torah studies, uh, and uh, we would like to see a limited quota. Um, we suggested uh, about uh, 10%, 12%, namely about uh, 1,200 a year. Uh, we we are dealing with a cohort of about 12,000 every year That's a lot uh, of that reach draft age, uh, draft age. So we suggested about 10% that would be selected based on objective uh, criteria of excellence. Uh, not, uh, you know, relatives of the machers of the parties or uh, family members of the of the rabbis, but those who truly excel, they not only should be exempted, in our view, but should also receive a higher subsidy, a higher grant. Uh, but the rest uh, should be drafted, and our view is they should be uh, given, the, the, the IDF should be given, you know, first dips, uh, first refusal, hmm. uh, and they should pick everyone who, uh, in their view, is uh, is um, uh, qualified uh, to do meaningful military service, and the rest should do uh, civil service, uh, national service. So, Rabbi Regev, I mean, you come up with this poll, and it, it reflects the opinion out in the public, but is the, are the politicians going to care about this? Especially well, with this, this is, current this is coalition. Very interesting, uh, because clearly they didn't care until now. Uh, and and I think it should be stressed, you know, Hidush is, is, not, a, is not a partisan advocacy organization. Uh, we have people uh, who support us uh, from the right, center, and left. Uh, and, uh, and, and therefore, I, I should stress that both left, center, and right-wing parties facilitated the mass exemption uh, of yeshiva students all along uh, from uh, you know from from the uh, beginning of the state but uh, uh, you know primarily since 1977 when the floodgates uh, were opened and the numbers uh, increased uh, uh, you know in in a, in a, in, a, in a dramatic way uh, so, um, until now, they didn't really care, and they were as cynical uh, as the worst, uh, uh, you know, myth uh, that one uh, may uh, uh, entertain mm-hmm. about politicians. Um, but I think it's a different story now. Uh, and and the Likud and Netanyahu, too, understand. They just can't deliver, even if they wanted to, they just can't deliver... Uh, what they took for granted maybe in previous years. Uh, the the public wrath uh, would be so enormous that the uh, uh, the price, the political price to be paid 
uh, is going to be uh, uh, great. Now, as an Israeli and a rabbi, with your finger on the pulse of, uh, of what's happening here, you, you had 87% of the ultra-Orthodox public support the continuation of the situation, right? Yes. But I'm wondering, what about the people who this affect? I mean, did you uh, question the young, the, the people between the ages of 18 to 25 or anything like that, how they feel about it? Well, I, 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 we did not do that kind of fine-tuning. Mm-hmm. Uh, altogether, you have to understand the 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 number of the ultra orthodox in the uh, in the temple uh, is limited, right. and even though uh, you know this is a, a, a this particular one is a normal normal sample. No, I'm wondering uh, just about the people who are going to be in, impacted directly yeah, about this but whole what, thing. But what what I'm saying is that if you if you trim it down mm-hmm. to those ages within the ultra orthodox participants in the sample, you wouldn't have a good enough sample uh-huh. uh, of those of this subgroup uh, to be able to draw conclusions. Now, I'm, I'm curious myself how someone like that who's oh. in yeshiva and watching everybody go to fight and is not participating, how they feel. So, so I'm probably the wrong person <laughs> to interview on that, other than uh, I regularly read the ultra-Orthodox media. Uh, and and I have to tell you, uh, we we you know they they is, some of their spokespeople uh, emphasize the uh, that they fear that the uh, individuals who may go into the army are going to be uh, uh, you know um, uh, turned into secularists and and, and that's the fear that that is not uh, the whole truth. It's not even a you know a, it's not even the majority of the truth. There is a deep-seated theological rejection of uh, enlisting uh, Haredi men uh, uh, to the army. Of course, you know Haredi women is a different story altogether. No women, in their view, should be serving in the in the army. Uh, the chief rabbinate opposes military service for women, uh, but uh, but with regard to the theology, the theology behind it. It has to do with the understanding that the October 7th war, as was the COVID pandemic, as was the Holocaust, are all God's doing. Mm. And if it's God's doing, and, you know, there, there is some divergence of opinion as to why exactly and why now, but if it's all God's doing, then the remedy is not the army. The remedy, in their view, is prayer and study. And it's only prayer and study that's going to be uh, uh, providing defense uh, for the country, um, sustaining the world, etc., etc. So in their view, they really are, it, it, you know, Kari, if you remember Minister of Communications, uh, Dr. Kari, yes. uh, who recently said uh, those that study Torah are more uh, uh, important for the defense of the country than those who serve in the army. Uh, that, that multiply that manifold and you'll have the core theological position of the ultra-Orthodox. It's them, the, 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 the yeshiva students. Uh, who uh, protect the country and not the soldiers? It's not lobechai, lobechai, the lobechoach. You know, it's not not yes. by might nor by power. Rabbi Uri Regev, head of Chidush for Religious Freedom and Equality. Here's Alicia Banai, San Diego.
שתיתי משקה כבר נעים לי לא קר, רציתי לנסות להתמיד, לכתוב מנגינה שתביא את העתיד שלי, שלך, שלי, שלך. אז בואי נשחק עוד משחק, מי שמפסיד יצחק. רצף של שלוש מלכות, לא נקבל מכות על הראש שלי. שלך, שלי, שלך, הגלים של סן דייגו לא רוצים להישבר, פזמונים שלך כתבתי Revelations that employees of the UN Palestinian Refugee Agency took part in the October 7th massacre, calls have been growing to not only reform the organization, but to dissolve it. Knesset member Sharon Haskell of the National Unity Party leads a Knesset lobby group to reform UNRWA. She spoke to reporter Arieh O'Sullivan. We have to separate this organization into two different organizations, okay? Mm-hmm. One has to be a humanitarian aid, and this role can be taken by the United Nations. Um, OCHA, which is one of the arms or the umbrella of the United Nations that brings 
uh, to, you know, disastrous area like um, uh, places that were hit with natural disasters, the war zone. Um, this organization brings all the United Nations organization like the food organization and the health organization, education, uh, and sort of spread it. And that can give the proper humanitarian relief to the Palestinians in Gaza that are in desperate need. Uh, something that UNRWA is not providing because most of the humanitarian aidings either stolen by Hamas, uh, being sold in the market to Palestinians. Um, it doesn't reach the people it needs. And also, they are not organized to deal with a humanitarian crisis. I mean, they don't have the logistical capacity to distribute uh, humanitarian aid as much as needed, which is something that the United Nations is very much experienced in and know really well how to do it. I mean, they did it in far greater uh, uh, conflict area like Syria and Afghanistan and Sudan and Ukraine. So, uh, so this way we know that the question mark about the humanitarian aid is resolved. The other organization needs to be an organization. Uh, and, you know, when, when we say there's no leadership for the Palestinians, I mean, UNRWA is the proof that the international community agrees with us because they are incapable of managing an education system and a healthcare system mm -hmm. and uh, you know even the, the the services provided like the sewage service and the street cleaning and the housing that's being done by the united nation an international organization and paid and funded by that now uh, if the international community wants to manage uh, the day-to-day -day life and the infrastructure, you know, governmental infrastructures uh, for the Palestinians, that's okay. But they have to be accountable for it and responsible for how they do it and who's the provider. It cannot be Hamas. It has to be foreign workers who are experienced with it that knows how to do it. There has to be an oversight over it. Uh, you know, so that they can't steal the equipment or the money or use, uh, you know, United Nations facilities and buildings as military bases for terrorist groups. And, and that's how we need to separate it and how we need to deal with it. Well, well despite all this and the temporary halt of funding to UNRWA right now, we're looking at how, how practical is this idea to try to shut UNRWA down or to change it or replace it with alternatives? Um, so there is alternatives, um, and, you know, it could have been done a month ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, if UNDAC, which is the organization that's meant to build a plan, you know, uh, to actually do that, it would have done that in the beginning of the war. By now, you know, three, four months later, it would have already been operated and, and provided. Um, the problem is that there's a lot of pressure not to do it. Hamas wants to control the humanitarian aid. They want to control the United Nations uh, buildings and, and, and equipment and logistics. I mean, they're profiting from it. Um, so if, you, if we're talking realistically, I mean, it's going to be a process, um, uh, but, but it's and Are we going completely tomorrow? No. I mean, the mandate that UNRWA has is being taken. 
uh, 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 by the United Nations. They need an assembly that needs to vote uh, to shut down UNRWA. It's not going to really happen because we know how the United Nations and what the United Nations approach is towards Israel. Um, we've seen so much anti-Semitism and hatred towards Israel and the way how they treat and single out Israel, especially in the last three months, that no one really expects anyone to do even something just, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, <laughs> uh, you know, so I won't expect it, but um, when we speak about UNRWA, they might be a United Nations organization, but it's funded by the international community meaning most of the funds that are coming in are coming from the European Union and from the States and Canada and Germany. And if those countries decide to be accountable for the money that they're sending, uh, they want to do oversight to make sure it doesn't reach terrorist organization. And it's actually funneling to the Palestinians and not a terrorist organization. They can do that. Uh, if they choose to use other organizations to send the humanitarian aid, then they can dry up UNRWA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, UNRWA is this unique organization that's been created, uh, uh, you know, specifically and uniquely for the Palestinians. It sits at the heart of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. As long as it continues to perpetuate its ideas, uh, uh, there's not going to be a different future for Israelis and Palestinians. There cannot be. Uh, they sit really at the core of it. Now, Knesset member Haska, I know that you, in the Knesset you're involved in something with UNRWA. Can you tell us a little bit about what, is this a committee you have or, or you're part of? So I, yeah, I chair the lobby uh, to reform UNRWA since 2015. Mm. Uh, there's been years of evidence uh, on how uh, you know, UNRWA operates and how terrorists and terrorist organization has taken over this organization. And so since 2015, I'm lobbying uh, to close the organization, to dry up its money, its funds, and mainly to change Israel's policy towards UNRWA because since 2015, when I started, uh, the answers that I got from the foreign ministry and from the Ministry of Defense in relation uh, to let's cut the ties with UNRWA. We know that they're literally Hamas. Um, but w- the answers that I used to receive were, uh, you know, this is what we've got and uh, we have to deal with it. There so, isn't going to be anything else. So, so the, the defense establishment, even before the war, was against uh, these moves to shut UNRWA down because there's nothing else. So it's very important to note that last week uh, we've made a historical decision, and I've been working on that for three months, uh, four months since the war opened up, uh, to, so that Israel changed its policy towards UNRWA and cut the ties with this organization. And um, they've postponed time after time the discussion about UNRWA and what needs to happen. But I'm really pleased to literally announce that this week the government has decided to change its policy towards UNRWA. And they're starting to build a plan on how to cut ties uh, with UNRWA and how to dry up this organization. Uh, I'm very proud of that. I think it's a real historical moment. And I honestly think that this is the first step uh, towards changing the reality 
and, you know, the future between Israelis and Palestinians. Knesset member Sharon Haskell. The UN watchdog, NGO, UN Watch, this week hosted in Geneva an international summit entitled A Future Beyond UNRWA. Among the panelists who spoke at the event was Ambassador Dennis Ross, counselor at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy and a former U.S. envoy on the Middle East peace process. He spoke about the reforms UNRWA must undergo and what alternatives there are for the services it provides. There's been years and years of discussion about the need to reform UNRWA, the need to replace UNRWA with different programs. Obviously, in the midst of what's going on in Gaza, that's hard to do. Uh, UNRWA is the main body responsible for distributing assistance right now. But that cannot be a reason not to take a very hard look at UNRWA and look at changes that need to be made, both in terms of how UNRWA operates on the one hand and also for basic reforms that are needed on the other. Reforms that, by the way, would have other agencies begin to play a role uh, in place of UNRWA. So what are the key changes I think need to be made? Uh, number one, UNRWA, can, uh, UNRWA cannot be subservient uh, to Hamas. The, it's not just that it employs people who are Hamas uh, members, supporters, and so forth. That's, that we know is a fact. It's also that it's, it's clear that the, one of the most important uh, operational and intelligence centers underground uh, was underground the headquarters of UNRWA within Gaza City. The argument that this was not something that could have been known, the character of this tunnel was such that it would have been impossible to be in the building and not know or hear what was going on underneath. This was a kind of classic case of hear no evil, see no evil, and not want to discuss uh, any evil. So the subservience of, of UNRWA to Hamas, that has to end, number one. Number two, there needs to be a thorough vetting of the people who work for UNRWA. Uh, there are plenty of lists that are available. Uh, certainly the United States has a list of, of terrorists that, it, uh, that OFAC produces. There should be vetting of the people who are working for UNRWA and compared to that list. UNRWA has never been prepared to accept anything like that. That is unquestionably something that needs to be done. Thirdly, uh, beneficiaries of UNRWA uh, also need to be checked against these lists. It's not just the people who are employees of UNRWA. It also has to be those people who are benefiting from it. Uh, Fourthly, uh, there has never been a needs-based standard by which uh, those who are getting support from under material support from under uh, are being tested. Those who are not and require, who don't require assistance, shouldn't be getting it. Quickly, mm-hmm. I'd say the, the idea that uh, every generation, no matter where they live, uh, should still be treated as if they're on the books uh, as refugees makes no sense on its face. Uh, So this is another area where I think there needs to be basic reform with regard to UNRWA. Beyond what I would call reform, I would say there are other programs that ought to take the place of UNRWA. The World Food Program should be responsible for distributing food 
rather than under. We know that, uh, again, you, you can't go cold turkey here. You need a transition, even if you weren't in the midst of, of a war, where UNRWA is, the, is really the only vehicle for the distribution of assistance. The fact is, at some point when this is over, UNRWA was providing about 60% of all the meals uh, in Gaza before this. Uh, why not focus on having the World Food Program take its place? And by the way, the the monies that are giving to UNRWA, you would deduct that and you would give that money to the World Food Program uh, so that it could be performing this role. Uh, it's also, there is also the question uh, of the refugees who are in Lebanon or who are in Jordan. In the case of Jordan, they're full citizens. Uh, and as full citizens, it's not clear why they, why Again, UNRWA should be the vehicle for this. Um, there can be other. Again, if there's if if UNRWA is providing material support to people in Jordan and Lebanon, that material support should still be provided, but it shouldn't necessarily, at least in the case of Jordan, where they are citizens, unlike in Lebanon, where they are not. UNRWA should not be the vehicle for it. The vehicle in Lebanon could be the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. Uh, in Jordan, it, is, it could, should be something that's worked out with the Jordanian government, and monies that are given by different countries to UNRWA could be given directly to the Jordanian government to provide uh, to uh, to those who are, in fact, Jordanian citizens. I mean, these strike me as an array of different kinds of reforms and or steps that could be taken and should be taken. One thing we should learn uh, from this war uh, UNRWA, if not by design, certainly by consequence, effectively was a vehicle for Hamas. Uh, One thing that should not be the case in the aftermath of this war is that UNRWA continues to play the role it did. Again, I'm not saying it should you go cold turkey, but you should create a transition away. Because what UNRWA is doing, if, if UNRWA maintains the same role, if UNRWA is given this kind of uh, continuing responsibility, it will allow Hamas to come back in. Uh, the, and there is no possibility of producing reconstruction in Gaza if Hamas remains in control. And if UNRWA is a vehicle to help it be in control, it means Hamas will continue to divert any materials away to rebuild its military capability, to reconstitute itself. Uh, and if that happens, first of all, donors won't invest in reconstruction because they know not only about the diversion of materials, but they also know sooner or later Hamas will trigger another conflict. Ambassador Dennis Ross, a former U.S. envoy on the Middle East peace process. That concludes our program. Thanks for listening. You can find Con English on the Con Radio and digital platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Spotify. This is Nomi Segal wishing you Shavua Tov. Here's Didi Erez, Berlin. And this update, the IDF spokesperson announced this evening that three soldiers were killed and 14 others were wounded, six of them seriously, in a blast yesterday in a booby-trapped building in the Khan Yunus area. Their families have been notified. The names of the fallen soldiers are... Sergeant Dolev Malka, 19, of Shlomi. Sergeant Afik Terry, 19, of Rehovot. Sergeant Inon Yitzchak, 20, of Mitzpe Ramon. 
the deaths bring to 585, the number of fallen soldiers since the start of the war.